Amen. What a time of worship. Now, as we dive into the teaching, pizza and wings, some of you are thinking, now that's a kind of church I can get behind. Others of you are like, uh, heresy, are you guys like coronavirus going to your brain? What are you thinking in this way? Well, one thing we've been discovering during this time has been that people are longing for some stability, some familiarity. And pizza and wings around western New York, when all is well, that's what you do. That's what's familiar to us in that way. Some of you right now are maybe you've been playing Uno again or Monopoly or you're going back to your childhood stories like Star Wars or maybe you're enjoying the last dance and the Bulls 90s, the 90s runs of the Bulls. I've been enjoying all that kind of stuff where you think this is stable in the midst of the unknown. So we thought in light of what we're realizing, people just longing for something familiar. We're going to spend a few weeks just looking at familiarity. Some of those anchoring texts in Scripture that just remind us of who we are and whose we are. And we thought one of the greatest ways to start is with the most popular prayer, the most well-known prayer in human history, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. This is how Jesus words it. This is, I'm going to be reading, there's several places in the Gospels, but in, in Matthew, we see in chapter 6, verse 9, he starts off, this is how you should pray. So Jesus just taught us straight out. And frankly, the first line of his prayer is really all you need to know theologically. Our Father who is in heaven. Our, we are together. We are not alone. We are not separate. This is a public prayer, a unifying prayer. This is our prayer. But this is even greater. Our Father, who's in heaven. Think about that. What, what that tells me is that God is revealing to us the intimacy of the Father. And yet the majestic nature of who our God is in heaven Outside of time and space, God can handle all of this. God isn't surprised by this moment. God gets it. He sees the bigger picture. That's incredible. Which tells me in the intimacy of God and what God is showing us theologically in the beginning of this prayer, he's intimate enough, close enough to know your deepest needs right now. But this is where it gets even better. He's grand enough, he's majestic enough to know and to have the power to fix those needs, to meet those deep-seated needs. This idea of intimacy and power, I think around the issue of Father, I think some of us, frankly, take for granted the, the incredible nature by which he shares who he is as Father. Uh, New Testament scholar, uh, his Jeremiah uh, Joachim, <laughs> uh, said these words as he studied the vast majority of study around ancient Near Eastern culture and literature. He said, in the vast literature that we have to this day, you cannot find one place where they talk about God as parent as father, as mother, in any way, shape, or form. It's always a distant deity, a distant God. In that, Jesus starts off our prayer together. Our Father, completely intimate, knowing exactly what you need. 
And then not surprised because God is outside of time and space in heaven. He can see the past. He can see the present. He can see the future because his vantage point is far better than ours. That's the God we pray to. That's the foundation of our prayer to, to our God, our Father who art, who is in heaven. Then he goes on. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. You know, hallowed just means holy, set apart, glorified. This is what's fascinating. Just his name alone is holy. I mean, you, you're not even talking about the, the grandness of God. You're talking about just the name of God is hallowed. And so it's saying the very nature of God is set apart and, and majestic. It's the image, and what I get as I pray this in, in my own spirit is, that's like Moses when he has to cover his face in God going by. That's like Isaiah when he sees the temple of God filled with just the hem of the robe of God. That's the grandness and majesty, the holiness of God. That's the moment of Job when God shows him his glory. And says, Job, were you there when I set the stars in place? Were you there when I filled the oceans? That's when Job stops and sees the hallowedness, the holiness of God. And he says, you be God and I'll be quiet. That's what it means to start your prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, your grandness, holy is your name. But then he takes it to a beautiful place that I think we need to be reminded of today. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. You see, God takes us to a place now of showing us what his agenda has always been. Some of you have maybe, maybe heard the, the phrase missio dei, the mission of God. And there's all sorts of teachings and there's different ways of interpreting scripture of what the missio dei of God is. I want to make the claim that the mission of God is to reestablish his kingdom on earth. That's what this prayer is getting us to, to remind us that this world has two options for every single person. Your kingdom, personally, my own kingdom, or God's kingdom. You see, when Adam and Eve were born into this world, God said, I give you dominion over this land. This was God's kingdom. But they couldn't handle the fact that this was truly not fully theirs. It's like they wanted some of the power, but they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know what was going on inside of them. But what it was at the core was selfishness. I want to be in control. And, and they gave that control over as they sinned and they, they fell for the, the lies of the enemy and, and the rest is history. Now there's two kingdoms at war. In fact, in the New Testament, we learn that the enemy, this, he's known as the prince of the air, the prince of this world. But here's the good news. We know who the king is. And so this prayer reminds us, it recenters us yet again. Your kingdom come. I'm not going to establish my kingdom on earth. Your will be done, God. And I think some of you, just like me, want to know, God, what is your will in the midst of this? What, what are you going to do with us? 
Uh, how are you going to navigate these, these roads? We're watching tragedy and we're watching pain and suffering. And God, what, uh, show me your will. Well, you know how you find God's will? It really comes down to, in Romans 12, 2, it talks about the pattern of this world. Romans 12, 2 says it this way, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me pause there for a minute. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, let's think about this idea of pattern before I go further into that verse here. The idea of pattern is what we're actually seeing in the Lord's Prayer. You see, the Lord's Prayer shows us a pattern by which Jesus wants us to live. And this pattern is really quite awesome. It's a pattern that's different from the pattern of the world. Here's what I mean. There's a lot of people praying to God right now to foreign gods, to different gods, to whatever God is in their mind. There's a lot of prayer going on during COVID-19. But a lot of that prayer is a pattern toward selfishness. Dear God, I'm in trouble, help me. Dear God, rescue me. Dear God, help me in this moment. It's all me, 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 because my kingdom is falling. My kingdom doesn't know what to do with this disease that has come in. Dear God, rescue me. That's a pattern of this world. But God establishes a different pattern. Notice how the Lord's Prayer starts off. It's all about God. It starts with our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about God. That's the kingdom of God mindset. That's a pattern that God wants us to get. And I want to challenge you if right now you've just been calling out to the Lord, dear God, help me, dear God, help me. What if you reframe it differently and you say, wait a minute, I'm going to conform to the pattern of God, not to the pattern of this world where I'm just selfishly, fix me with all my fear. We pray this, Lord, I just want to see your glory. I just want to see you. I want to see your majesty. I want to see your kingdom come, not mine. If I live or if I die, if I get sick or if I'm healthy, If I have tragedy around me, God, it's your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. That sets things straight. Because then Romans 12, 2 goes on, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. (laughs) So good. It sets you straight. How do you know God's will? That's what Jesus is telling us to pray. You pray the pattern of God, not the pattern of the world. God, you're the one who's holy. You're the one whose kingdom I want to live for, not my kingdom. I think this is really calling out where your faith is at right now. Is your faith in trying to just survive or isn't your faith in a place where you want to thrive in the kingdom of God, whether you live or whether you die? And I hope we, of course, live. Of course, we hope for that. We're going to pray for that. But we pray for that as secondary. Primary is God. Primary is God's will. Primary is God's kingdom. Then, notice how it goes. The prayer then continues on. It shifts to now requesting around your needs. Give us today our daily bread. Oh, it's so good. I love this prayer. Because now what God teaches us 
is that we can actually, and this is going to sound strange, but this is an imperative. This is a command verse. I've struggled with it because it's like Jesus is teaching us to say, give me bread, give me my basic needs, God. And I've wrestled with it for years, but finally it clicked for me through some times of prayer and conversation, and it just clicked. Why does God allow us to command for basic needs? Give us, give me. It sounds like a spoiled brat. But think about family. You see, this goes back to that initial beginning part of the prayer. Our Father, the intimate language, the intimacy, the closeness that we have with God. You see, what does family do? Family actually establishes a sense that you're welcome here. You are a part of us. I'm, it's, you're obliged to be cared for. And so this prayer is actually not very, it's not selfish at all. Because I always thought, why don't we say please or thank you in it? Well, because when you're in the family, you're welcome to receive. You're expected to receive. You're expected to be cared for. My kids don't come down for breakfast and say, oh, dad, please, father, if you will beseech thee, give me a slice of bread. They don't ever do that. Not even once. Never once I've begged for God to have my kids be that gentle and kind. No, they come in and say, what'd you do with the bagels, Dad? Or did you eat them again? You know, see, they expect that I'm going to care for them because they're in my family. That's what God expects for us. You're in, your, you're in the family of God. So give me my basic needs, God. I still say please or thank you to God in those moments. I still do. But Jesus tells us, just, just ask, just say, give, give me the bread because I'm part of the family. This establishes us as home. Do you realize how good this is? This is familiarity. Like I'm home, I can kick my, my shoes off and I can just, I can rest in the comfort of my father's house. So good. So necessary. Then he shifts in the prayer and continues to go into our needs. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is fascinating to me because God assumes you're going to forgive other people's debts. That's awesome. In other words, you're going to not hold things over people. God assumes you're going to do that. So as a child of God, if he's going to give us our daily bread, he assumes that you're going to be mature and you're going to be stepping up in grace as you follow in your heavenly Father's footsteps day by day through following the ministry of Jesus Christ to us in this world through the Holy Spirit. Amazing growth and maturity. This is why we talk around Watermark about spiritual growth stages because we expect you'll grow up. I expect that Jesus says, I'm going to forgive you as you forgive other debtors. But this idea of debt is interesting too because many people then think, oh, okay, so I, you know, my mortgage payment's going to be paid for. That's really, I don't think, what Jesus is getting into here. Debt, let's just think about that. Many of you have maybe seen the Dave Ramsey show. I used to have a radio station where I'd listen to it from time to time and people would call in and say, I'm debt free! And they would scream and there's all this cheering and it's, very, it's really encouraging. You get goosebumps, you hear people that had disciplined their lives and they got out of debt and there's just great celebration. And I mean, that's fantastic. 
and, and uh, very encouraging. Or you look right now and we're talking about all the care that the government's doing for the country. And I mean, there's a lot of really debate about how things are being handled and stuff. It's really complicated. But our debt as of right now is around $25 trillion. And if the math plays out right, that's $76,000 owed per every man, woman, and child on plant, uh, uh, in our country. What in the world? I can't even get my mind around those kinds of numbers. And that number keeps increasing. And so you think about debt, and you go down those roads. But I think Jesus is getting to a much deeper debt. I believe he's talking heavily about the debt of sin. That is what we need right now. Forgive us our debt, our trespasses, our sins. I want to read to you from Colossians 2. This is verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, your debt, right? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus challenges us to pray, uh, our debts be forgiven. I believe he's talking about that which separates you from God. What a powerful prayer. God, forgive me of my sins. As you challenge me to forgive those who sin against me, who hurt me. It's an incredible gift we've been given. Don't ever take for granted the power of this I mean, you think about the national debt of our country, that's nothing compared to the debt, truly, of sin that leads to hell itself, death itself. You are forgiven when you follow Jesus Christ by giving him your life. And then Jesus actually finishes the prayer in a way that many people misunderstand, really. Uh, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is so fascinating because many of us who grew up in traditional churches would have then, we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Those words were actually added by King James 1,600 years later. Jesus actually ends the prayer, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus actually shifts into this whole idea of forgiveness. And he says, this is the very next verse at the end of the Lord's Prayer as we've ended it, and then added the doxology in the 1600s, and now we have Jesus following up with, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, 
your father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus actually ends the prayer and then he goes into another thought in a way that a lot of us really, really miss. So let me take you into what I believe he's really trying to get at here. You you see, the petition, this prayer that Jesus teaches us actually has seven petitions in it. it. It really starts off with the whole idea from the beginning of saying, God, I want, to peti- I want to ask for seven things. May your name be holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then he goes into really four more requests. Give us our daily bread. Notice as the first three are the pattern of put your eyes on God, his kingdom, and then your needs will be met. But notice how it deals with all of your life. Give us our daily bread, which is really present tense. Give me what I need just for today. Manna. Give me the manna from heaven for today. My basic needs. I, not my basic greeds. I know so many people are like, prosperity, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's again the pattern of this world. God, just give me what we need. And then he goes so beautifully into forgive debts, which is really dealing with the past. And then lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. The last two requests are future. So your past sins are forgiven. Your present needs are met. And the evil one who will trip you up and lead me not into temptation. This idea of God leading us, we know God doesn't tempt us. He tells us that in other places in Scripture. God doesn't tempt us, but he does lead us. And so what this prayer Jesus is teaching us to pray is say, God, may, be, may I follow so closely to you. God, don't even take me to the edge. Don't even get me near any of this. Keep me from evil. Keep me from the evil one causing me any kind of stumbling. And this whole idea of forgiveness is this idea of a complete surround and care. Like Jesus is challenging us to surrender our past, our present, our future, all to him that, that we can trust him to truly keep us holy as his name and his essence of his being is hallowed, is holy. And I I love the fact that he ends the prayer around the whole issue of the temptation to carry sin or to carry unforgiveness towards somebody else. And for him to then follow up the prayer by talking about forgiveness is really so powerful for us today. One of the things I, I've learned through these 10 weeks of, of being in a time of uh, stay-at-home orders, I've been learning that I used to major on the minors. No more. I've held grudges at times with people that now I see going through some tough times. I've been through a, a couple of really painful times with with death and with tragedy, walking with other people through times of great torment and pain. And what this time has reminded me is that this world and life is so short. This is the only time we're going to be living in bodies that are prone to wander, that are prone towards sin. But I, I love the fact that God is resetting everything for us. And it's my hope that just through talking through and studying through the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. I know it's familiar. 
I know some of you have prayed it infinite times. But I hope what's happened is there's been a recentering for you and a reminder of how this familiar prayer is loaded with everything you need right now. And as we're learning that this world is short and frankly, we don't know about the future. So why not deal with any of these issues that God is bringing to your spirit right now? If you're carrying grudges against somebody, this world is too short. Forgive them. Call them. Zoom on the, with them and you can see their face and you can cry together. And humble yourself before the Lord. He's the one who's holy. It's his kingdom. You want to see his kingdom come? And start with him and he's going to challenge you. Deal with these issues. This is the time. This is the place. You've got some breathing room. So if you're harboring anything, I mean, Jesus said it so clearly, if you don't forgive others, how can your heavenly father forgive you? So live in this. This is what's so great. God will give you the daily bread of what you need, the, the sustenance spiritually to deal with this. It's great. You're not alone. This is our prayer to our Father. So we're all in this together. So my prayer is that, as Pastor Paul shared just a little while ago, that our hope is that we can gather sooner than we were thinking and we get a chance to see each other face to face. My hope is that I see a renewed person fresh and alive again. Holy, as our God is holy, set apart as a child of God in the family of God. I'd be honored if you'd join me in praying right now as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who hold debt, who hold sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, protect us from the evil one. Lord God, if we harbor any unforgiveness because the evil one has tripped us up and divided us, God, help us to use this time to forgive to release that poison that is in us, to find your healing from the inside out. I thank you for this familiar prayer. May it be as comforting and filling to us as anything that we can tangibly do to connect with you right now. And so I pray for anyone who has not yet prayed the prayer to follow you. Lord Jesus, I pray that they will ask for forgiveness of their sin and start following you all the days of their lives as they release their life to you and become a child of God. 
I pray protection over each of our families. I pray protection over our homes and in our workplaces. As we dream about what can come in the future, God, we pray for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd invite you to go to the website. And on the top there of our website at watermarkwesleyan.com, it says following Jesus and knowing Jesus. Uh, feel free to click that and we can together connect with you. Amen.